We are continuing our series, Habitology, where we have been talking about habits. And uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Drew McCullough and I am one of the student directors here at High Point Church. And a uh, little fun fact about me, uh, unless you know me pretty well, you don't, probably don't know this, uh, but I love musicals. I love musicals. Thank you. I love musicals. I do. Uh, now, I know that when I say that, uh, one of two things probably happened. Uh, some of you, I may have gained a little bit of your respect. You're thinking, okay, Drew, I had you pegged all wrong. You're pretty cultured. You're pretty cool. You like, you mean, you like musicals. And uh, to that, I say, I am cool. I am cultured. I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, some of you, I may have lost a little bit of your respect, right? You're like thinking, Drew, like, come on, you like musical? Either way, I don't care. I like musicals, all right? And uh, one of my favorite musicals is the musical Hamilton. I love Hamilton. It is the story of uh, one of our founding fathers, the uh, guy on the $20 bill, the first treasury secretary, Alexander Hamilton. It is an incredible, incredible musical and, and it's so cool, it's so unique because uh, so much of the music has this super heavy hip hop R&B uh, influence and it, it's so, so cool. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, now some of the songs have some language so viewer discretion is advised, but it is so good, go check it out. Uh, it actually just came out on Disney Plus on Friday. So there you go, you're welcome, go check it out. Uh, but I wanna talk about a part of Hamilton today and I don't feel bad talking about it. It's been out for five years and it's about history. So whatever, but it's small, spoiler alert, all right? So in the, the, the show Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, I guess in real life too, Alexander Hamilton was married to this woman named Eliza. And in, in, in the, the musical, and there's this part that we find out that Alexander had an affair with this other woman and he actually paid her husband to stay quiet about it. And so then uh, his political rivals find out about all this. And so Alexander was forced with this dilemma. Does he uh, truthfully admit to having an affair or does he falsely admit to embezzling money? Because that's what they thought he was because he was the treasury secretary. So they're like, it looks like you're embezzling money from the US government, right? So he had this dilemma. And in order to save political face and because he was obviously so noble, Alexander Hamilton decided to tell the truth about his affair. And so what he did was he wrote a series of pamphlets, which today that would basically be writing a blog and posting all over social media, right? So this very private, terrible, hurtful thing became a very public, terrible, hurtful thing. And everybody in the world knew about it, including his wife, Eliza. And so we come to this scene and the song is called Burn. And Eliza is talking about how she's burning with, with this heartache, with this hurt. And she literally uh, burns letters that he had written her. And she wants to burn the bridge of this relationship. She wants to burn the memories that they made because she is done. And the scene ends. And then we have a new scene and we see Philip. 
Eliza and Alexander's son, and he just graduated college, and, and he hears this, this guy publicly bashing his dad, and so he goes up to him and says, sir, I challenge you to a duel, because that's what people did. I disagree with you. Let's shoot each other with a pistol from 40 feet away, right? So he said, I challenge you to a duel, and he went to talk to his dad about it, and, and Alexander didn't do what we would think is the fatherly thing to do. He didn't say, hey, let's let cooler heads prevail. Maybe don't do that. Uh, He actually gave him some advice, gave him his own guns, pushed him out the door. And so Philip goes to the dueling grounds, takes his paces, and then he takes a bullet. And his parents find out, they go to his side, but Philip dies in their arms. And they're weeping and they're in pain, they're suffering, and the scene ends. And then we have a new scene. And this scene is all about the aftermath of all of this. The affair, the blog post about the affair, uh, Philip dying in a duel, Alexander knowing about him going to a duel. And it's about all of this aftermath and it's called, it's quiet uptown. Because we know that when it comes to tragedy or great suffering afterwards, there's this, this void, this stillness, this quietness. It's quiet uptown. And so you hear in this song, the chorus, they're they're singing these words. They're saying, hey, if you see them, have pity on them because they are going through the unimaginable, unimaginable uh, pain, suffering, unimaginable anger, unimaginable conflict. They're going through the unimaginable. And then throughout the song, we see the tone shift And Alexander begins to try to console his wife. And we see him try to reconcile. And then they start to sing, if you see him, he's trying to do the unimaginable. He's trying to rebuild this burned bridge. Impossible, no way, unimaginable. But then at the end of the song, we see it shift again. And they say, there is a grace to powerful to name. And we see Eliza grab Alexander's hand and draw near to him. And they say, forgiveness. Can you imagine? Now, I tell you that story, not to just promo Hamilton, but because those words, forgiveness, can you imagine? They struck a chord with me. Because I think it, it, it's what we feel so often. Right? How in the world can Eliza forgive someone like Hamilton who hurt her so badly in so many ways? That's unimaginable. Forgiveness, can you imagine? It's so foreign to us. But see, it's not just us. It, it's a culture we live in. We live in this culture of unforgiveness, don't we? The the term I've heard to describe this is cancel culture. And if you've never heard that term before, you might think cancel is what you do to your gym membership or it's what happened to Bluff City Law, rest in peace. But, But cancel culture, we cancel people. If it comes to light that someone said something or did something that's deemed wrong, or hurtful, we cancel them. We boycott them, we block them, we publicly humiliate them, we, sh- we shame them online. We cancel them. 
And what's crazy about this cancel culture is it's not just, hey, I disagree with you. Hey, you hurt me. Hey, you were wrong. Conflict, confrontation. It's, I want you gone. I want you to disappear. You don't deserve to be heard from or seen from ever again. I want you ruined. And it's in this cancel culture that ideas like growth and reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness are unimaginable. And so today, as we continue in habitology and we talk about the habit of forgiveness, you might be thinking, Drew's crazy. Uh, I can't, forgiveness is foreign to me, much less a habit, right? But that's exactly what we're gonna talk about today as we look at Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, wherever you're tuning in from today, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18 and we're gonna be starting in verse 21. Now, uh, previous to verse 21, throughout this chapter, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking about the dangers of sin and how to confront and challenge and correct and restore people who fall into sin. And so in light of that conversation, Peter, good old Peter, he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question in verse 21. He says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Right, I mean, can I just say, I'm really thankful for Peter because so, so much of Jesus's teaching comes from Peter asking a question, right? He always goes to Jesus. He's always the bold one that's like, okay, I'll raise my hand and ask the teacher, right? Like he's that guy and I'm really thankful because we would be the ones to not raise our hand, right? So we're thankful for Peter. But Peter is, is trying to see, Jesus, what's my responsibility with this whole forgiveness thing? Like how many times do I really have to forgive? Like seven times? Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, why in the world did he say seven? Now, back then, it, it, scholars say that the Jewish teachers got together and they decided that people should forgive three times. And at the fourth time, you cut them off. No more. No more is necessary. So Peter, knowing how much Jesus talks about forgiveness, says, okay, I'm, I'm being gracious. Let's take their three. Let's multiply it. And, you know, uh, Forget, or uh, sorry, the number seven is seen as uh, completeness. It's seen as a round number. And so he said, cherry on top, let's add one. Let's go to seven. Jesus, should I forgive seven times? He's trying to say, what is the limit here? Here's the measuring stick. Tell me when to stop, Right? And here's how Jesus responds in verse 22. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. <laughs> Jesus says, no, 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 not seven. You, you thought you were being, being cute by saying seven. No, 77. Now that would have like blown Peter's mind, Jesus saying 77. Now, of course, Jesus didn't mean, okay, forgive 76, 77, that's it, stop. Jesus was trying to make a dramatic point here. Jesus was trying to take forgiveness and what they knew about it and flip it on its head. He was taking that measuring stick and breaking it over his knee. He was saying, forgiveness should be limitless. 
Forgiveness, stop trying to count. Stop trying to figure out when to stop. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Here's how the the, the pastor and commentator John MacArthur put it. He said, law keeps count, grace does not. Jesus is saying, quit trying to keep count of how many times you've had to forgive somebody and just forgive. And so you can imagine the disciples with their jaws dropped, eyes all big, mind going crazy, thinking, what is he talking about? And so Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, tells a parable, tells a story to help us understand what he's saying here. And this story can be viewed in like three little scenes. And we see the first scene in verse 23. And here's what Jesus said. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. End of scene. So in this first scene, we see our two characters. We see the king and we see this servant that owed him a debt. And the king says, where's my money? Give me my money. You owe me a debt. Pay up. And it says that he owed him 10,000 talents. Now that would have been an enormous debt, right? It's hard to say how much 10,000 talents would be today, uh, but, but believe some say it's in the billions, some say it's in the trillions. But again, Jesus wasn't trying to give a specific number, just like with the 77, he's trying to make a dramatic point here. See, what he did was in that day, the talent was the highest denomination of currency, And the word there for 10,000 is the highest numerical value in that language. So what Jesus was actually doing is taking the highest uh, currency and the highest numerical value, throwing them together, smacking them together. He's basically saying the debt that this guy owed was a gazillion dollars, right? He's trying to stress that this, this debt is incalculable. It's unpayable. It's unimaginable. And so this guy, of course, he couldn't pay this debt. And so he was being drugged. He was going to be sold, right? The king says, okay, I I can't recoup all my money. It's unpayable, but hey, something's better than nothing, right? But before he's drugged off, this guy falls to his knees and begs for mercy. Have patience with me. I'll pay you back everything. Now, it's funny because this guy obviously didn't understand how much 10,000 talents was, right? He either highly uh, undervalued this debt or he highly overvalued his ability to make money. He didn't understand it. There's no way he could pay it back. So of course the king uh, laughed in his face and waved at him as he got drugged away. No, the, the king had pity on him and released him and forgave the debt. And when it says have pity, what, what that means is he was moved to compassion 
He felt this guy's suffering. He felt his anguish and he released him. He didn't even, he didn't punish him at all. And not only that, uh, he forgave him. Means he didn't actually say, okay, pay me anything. He didn't require any payment. And in fact, when he forgave, what that implies, not only did the man have to not pay his debt, the king had to pay the debt. The debt didn't just like magically disappear into thin air. It was real. The king had to take the hit. The king had to make the sacrifice. And so the scene ends. And this scene would have left the disciples just minds blown because what in the world, what kind of king does that? And then we see scene two. In verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him into prison until he had paid the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So we see this second scene and this second scene is meant to be viewed in like direct parallel comparison to the first scene. Because first we see this debt is owed, right? So this, this forgiven servant, he leaves the palace He's like wiping the tears away from his eyes and he sees his buddy. He sees his fellow servant who owed him money. So what does he do? He charges over, pins him up against the wall. And it's crazy, but that was actually legal back in the Roman empire was if someone owed you money, legally you could put your hand on their neck because it was a sign of public humiliation and punishment. So he, that's what he does. He grabs and pins him up in the, against the wall, right? And it says he, he, he was owed a hundred denarii. Now you and I, at least I don't, I don't deal with a denarii very often, right? So a hundred denarii is basically a hundred days wage for the average worker. So if you take the average income of someone in the United States, that would be about $12,000, Right now, twelve thousand dollars in relation to a gazillion dollars—it's not much. But twelve thousand dollars—that's a lot of money, right? That's a real debt owed. If your buddy owed you twelve thousand dollars, you wouldn't let him forget it. You'd be sending him Venmo requests every single day till you got your money. $12,000 will go a long way in the Macala bank account. $12,000 is a lot of money. It's a real debt. But in comparison to a gazillion dollars, it's nothing. It's tiny. It's minute. It's real. But it pales in comparison. So there's a debt to be owed. And then we see the second comparison And it's kind of the climax of this second scene here is his buddy falls to his knees and begs for mercy. And he says, have patience with me and I'll pay you. And these words are eerily familiar 
They're almost word for word what the other servant, what the first servant had just said to the king. Almost word for word. So you would think, okay, this would jog his memory, right? Like if this was a movie, you'd see a little flashback scene. So surely he's going to say, okay, the king forgave me, right? Third comparison, his reaction, king forgave, he refused. And the words there, he refused, literally translate, he was not willing. Means he made a conscious effort to say no. A conscious effort to say no. I don't forgive you. And he threw him into jail. And the scene ends with all these spectators just disgusted and they go and tell the king. And then we come to the last scene down in verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. End of scene, end of story. So the king finds out and he's furious. He's furious. And and he's not furious because the, the servant technically did something like illegal. He didn't break any laws, right? He's furious because the king was disrespected. He was furious because the forgiveness that he has extended was cheapened, was ignored. It was like this, this, this servant had spit in the king's face and he calls him in and says, you wicked, evil servant, what is wrong with you? How dare you? And he sent him off with the jailers. And our our Bibles are actually a little bit nicer. The word jailer there actually means torturer. So he hands them off to the jailers, the torturers, until his debt could be paid, which we already established, 10,000 talents, gazillion dollars, not payable. This was a quadruple life sentence this guy got. And then Jesus sums it all up in this last verse. And he says, so my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Mic drop. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. If you don't show mercy, you won't be shown mercy. And that sounds harsh, doesn't it? And it kind of a little bit sounds like work-based salvation, right? <laughs> hey, hey, if you're, if you're kind enough, if you're merciful enough, if you're forgiving enough, then God will save you and forgive you. Or at the very least, he'll give you forgiveness. But if you're not kind enough or not forgiving enough, he'll take it back. But that can't be what Jesus was saying because if that was the case, he wouldn't need to come and be our perfect sacrifice in our place, right? So it's not what he's saying here. What Jesus is saying is if you don't extend forgiveness, it is a sign that you have not experienced God's forgiveness with a true, humble, repentant heart. Because forgiveness 
is a product of a heart that has been transformed by colliding with the king's forgiveness. Because those who show forgiveness or who know forgiveness show forgiveness. His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, they come first, but ours must come second. Now, that's easier said than done, right? I mean, I'm all about forgiveness. I'm all about talking about forgiveness. I'm all about being forgiven. Praise Jesus for forgiveness. But when I'm hurt, when I'm really hurt, I don't know about it then. And we have all these objections and they're valid objections. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how many times they've done that thing? Do you know how bad they hurt me? How much they broke my trust? There's no way I can forgive them. I can't just forget it. It's not okay. But here's the thing. Forgiveness is only needed because there is a real debt. If there wasn't a real debt, forgiveness wouldn't be needed. There's a real loss. And for you, your loss may be monetary. It may be reputation. It may be trust. It may be your relationship. You might've lost a loved one. There's a real loss there. There's a real debt. And I truthfully can't begin to try to understand all the pain and the hurt and the loss that's represented on the other side of this camera. But your suffering and your pain and your hurt and your loss, it's real. Forgiveness doesn't negate that. It doesn't invalidate that. Honestly, forgiveness acknowledges how real it is. There's a real debt, real pain, real loss. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you're suffering and hurt and everything is just gonna magically just go away. And it doesn't mean you're gonna magically forget everything. And it doesn't mean that, that suddenly your relationship's gonna be back to what it was or the trust is gonna be rebuilt magically. And it doesn't mean that it condones what they did. It doesn't mean that it's just okay. And it doesn't absolve them of any consequences or practical consequences or legal consequences. And to be candid, if you are, have been in or are in an abusive situation of any kind, or you're in danger, I want you to know that we love you. And we want to help you get to a safe place. And I want to validate the fact that what you're suffering through is not okay. But we are here for you to listen and to walk with you however long your journey and process of healing and forgiveness take. But forgiveness does not mean that you have to stay in that situation. And forgiveness doesn't condone. And forgiveness doesn't mean that anybody deserves it. It doesn't mean it's earned, forgiveness is granted. And it sure as heck is not easy. It goes counter to everything that is natural 
to us. Our natural response to a loss is to try to fill that void with unforgiveness. Our natural response to being hurt is to hurt back, to repay evil for evil out of anger and vengeance. And our natural response to to being wronged is to hold on to bitterness and hold on to resentment because we think that somehow that gives us power over that person. But in reality, it just imprisons us. It's like drinking poison, expecting them to die from it. And our natural response to to being hurt and to, to pain is to try to seek comfort and self-pity, try to seek validation and self-righteousness. We have all kinds of reactions to being hurt and to loss and to suffering, but forgiveness runs counter to all of it because forgiveness isn't natural. It's supernatural. It's not natural, it's supernatural. So how in the world, in light of my real suffering, a real hurt, a real loss, how in the world can we begin to forgive? How in the world can we find the strength to forgive when I don't feel like it? How in the world can we make a habit out of forgiveness? It is only through the supernatural power of the gospel of Jesus. It is only by fixing our eyes on the unconditional, unimaginable, undeserved, unlimited forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us here. That's what he's trying to tell the disciples is you, it is your responsibility to forgive and you are able to forgive because you have been forgiven of infinitely more. That's why he says 10,000 talents, a gazillion dollars. He's trying to help us see our incalculable, unpayable, unimaginable debt. For the wages of sin, the debt of sin is eternal death. But the good news of the gospel is that the king of kings paid our debt for us. The king of kings took the hit for us. The king of kings made the sacrifice on our behalf. The son of God gave up the riches of heaven to pay the sin debt of man. And it's there on the cross when he's paying our debt with with the, the burden of sin on his shoulders, with the wrath of God that we deserve pouring out on him that he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, they don't understand, they don't comprehend the incalculable, unpayable, unimaginable debt that they owe to a holy, perfect creator. But I'm paying the debt that they never could. Take my sacrifice and forgive them in my name. See, that, that is the supernatural power of the gospel. And it is through that forgiveness, our own forgiveness, that we find the power to forgive others. 
So how do we forgive? We fix our eyes again and again and again and again and again, day after day, moment after moment, we fix our eyes on the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Because it's when we fix our eyes on our own forgiveness found in Jesus, we remember that we don't have to hurt as we were hurt. We don't have to repay evil for evil. We don't have to give what is deserved through vengeance and anger because we didn't get what we deserved. And we remember we don't have to hold on to bitterness and anger to try to gain power because we have been set free from the power that sin had over us and we have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to try to find self-validation because our savior declared our value through his suffering and his sacrifice. And we don't have to try to fill that void of loss with unforgiveness because we have been so made full, so, uh, so whole by the love and forgiveness found in Jesus. We don't have a void to fill. We are so full, we're able to release that unforgiveness. See, when we try to cling to our unforgiveness, our anger, resentment, bitterness, when we try to cling to it, it shows us that we've either forgotten the gospel and the forgiveness found in the gospel, or we've never truly experienced it. The reality is you can't cling to unforgiveness and cling to the gospel at the same time. They, they don't work that way. They can't coexist. So something's got to give. Those who know forgiveness show forgiveness. And so today, if you're a Christ follower, maybe you find yourself, the Lord's placed it on your heart that you've been harboring unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment towards someone. And my prayer is that you find yourself at the foot of the cross today. Because our God is eager to forgive and he is faithful and just willing to forgive and purify you. So confess that. Release that unforgiveness and remember the forgiveness you have in Jesus. But then go and ask for forgiveness for that unforgiveness that you held for that person. Go and have that conversation. Or maybe today, the Lord placed it on your heart that you caused hurt, you caused pain, you caused suffering, you caused loss. And I pray that you find yourself at the foot of the cross today, confessing that, uh, confessing it, grabbing a hold of, remembering the forgiveness in Christ, but then going to that person and asking for their forgiveness. Or maybe today you realize that you have never truly, humbly accepted and experienced the forgiveness found in the gospel of Jesus. And I want you to know that that forgiveness is there for you today. And my prayer is that you find yourself at the foot of the cross today and that you embrace that forgiveness. 
And if that's you, I wanna encourage you to have a conversation with someone. Maybe you're, you're at church at home, you're gathered with some people right now that you can have a conversation with. If you're not with anybody, you can grab a phone, call a trusted friend. You can text High Point to 97000 and have a conversation with someone on our staff. That's the best decision that you could ever, meet, ever make is receiving that forgiveness found in Jesus. See, your woundedness suffering, your hurt, your loss, your pain, it is real, but it doesn't have to define you. And that means your vengeance, your anger, your resentment, your bitterness, it doesn't have to define you either. The power of forgiveness is too great for that. And I wanna end with this story. My wife and I, we have a friend named Matt Mayer. Uh, We have a picture of him, of us with him and his wife at their wedding. And Matt grew up in New Jersey, normal kid, loved playing soccer. And he grew up playing soccer, played soccer in college at Temple. And then he even played professionally until he blew out his knee one day. And so he's put on the injured reserve list. He's waiting to have surgery. And the day, the night before a game, since he couldn't play in the game the next day, he decided to go out with some buddies and they went to a bar. Had too much to drink. Lights come on at closing time. They didn't want to. They didn't want to end the party. So they said, "Hey, let's go to Atlantic City." So they hop in in Matt's SUV, get on the expressway. They're headed to Atlantic City. And Matt, he's changing lanes, and so he kind of, you know, he looks at his blind spot to check for vehicles and cars, but he didn't see a car two lanes over emerging in front of him. And Matt, going 90 miles an hour, clipped the back end of that car. Both cars spinning out, running into a barricade. And so as you can imagine, police show up, they breathalyze Matt, they take him into custody, they put him in a holding cell. And it was there in that holding cell that Matt heard this noise and it was the dispatch radio. And over the dispatch radio, Matt heard someone say, the accident on the Atlantic City Expressway is being cleaned up. The driver of the SUV, Matt, is in custody. The driver of the town and country is deceased. It was in that holding cell that Matt found out that he had killed a 55-year-old man from Philadelphia named Hort Cap. And so he was convicted of vehicular manslaughter and it was in the sentencing hearing. Both sides are given testimonies. People gave testimonies for Matt and the the daughter of Mr. Hort Cap, she gets up and she just talks about how much she loved her daddy. She missed her daddy. He was a great man, a hard worker. She even says, I've heard nothing but great things about Mr. Mayor, but I miss my daddy. And she sits down. And then Mr. Cap's oldest son, Noon, gets up and the tone changed. And he begins to scream. Do you have any idea how I found out how my daddy died? 
And he continues to scream and yell in anguish and pain and hurt. And he turns to Matt and he says, you destroyed my world. And the courtroom was silent. And noon broke the silence and said, but I forgive you, brother. And he walked over and he embraced Matt. And see, it was there on that sentencing day, Matt says that he was put into prison five years, but it was that day that he was actually set free forever. And here's what Matt, what he says about it. He says, the catalyst of that fool healing was heaven reaching down on sentencing day through Mr. Hort Cap's son, noon, and extending forgiveness. That was the sealer. Me going away to prison, set free, but on a mission and journey to magnify God in everything I said and everything I did. Matt experienced the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ through noon cap. And now Matt is a pastor up in New Jersey and he travels around to, to, to speak and tell his story to all kinds of people. And here's what he says about when he travels. He says, no matter where I find myself speaking, on any type of circuit, in colleges, in schools, in different venues and events, I want to make sure I always highlight God's forgiveness. That is the power, the supernatural power of forgiveness found in Christ Jesus and extended through us. Because those who know forgiveness show forgiveness. And praise be to God that in Christ Jesus, the King took our debt and extends us forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so thankful. Lord, we know that we have an incalculable, unimaginable debt. Oh, but God, we praise you and thank you for the incredible, unimaginable forgiveness that you've given us in Christ. Lord, I pray for everyone tuning in right now, God, I know that there is a lot of unforgiveness in this world. But Lord, I pray that you help us day after day to fall to our knees and fix our eyes on the forgiveness found in Christ. And God, I pray that you, you transform us and use our forgiveness we extend to others to transform the, the world around us. And Lord, we pray that for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.